Welcome to the Bikepack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance racers from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures, hear fantastic stories of their journeys, and through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. The Bike Pack Adventures Podcast is proudly supported by Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Tailfin Bikepacking Equipment, Montan Sports Canada, Race Day Fuel, and Brockton Cyclery. Their continued support allows me to focus my efforts on providing you amazing content. Now let's get rolling. In this episode of the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast, we go bikepacking beyond borders. Journeying into the unknown can be a daunting experience. Through this travel series, we'll try to share tips, tricks, and travel hacks to make travel in these countries as trouble-free as possible, while also laying the foundation for an unforgettable adventure. In this episode of Bikepacking Beyond Borders, I am joined by Charlotte Pluvier as she shares the ins and outs of travel in France, provides insight into the region, and culture. If you've been enjoying the podcast and feel that you're in a position to contribute to its continued growth, I would truly appreciate you considering to join as a Patreon supporter, which you can do by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. Your continued support is what helps keep this podcast going. By becoming a Patreon, you'll get early access to every podcast episode and also get to hear everything we talk about when we are quote-unquote off the map. Essentially, access to an uncut version of the episode, giving you the opportunity to hear what we talk about before, during, and after it's recorded. Now, on to the show. Before getting rolling into this episode, I'd like to thank one of our key sponsors. Panorama Cycles is dedicated to backcountry cyclists that prefer gravel, snow, and off-road trails. They believe cycling is a catalyst for adventures of all sizes and that there's no need to travel across the world or to be a seasoned athlete to live epic outdoor adventures. Panorama Cycles has some exciting things going on this year. The recently released Torngat Tie is the first titanium fat bike to offer two crankset spindle length setups to suit all types of riding. A versatile model, both lightweight and durable, that can be used for a wide range of adventures, making it the perfect bike for both trail riding and expeditions during summer and winter. The Torngat Tie is ready to tackle any train without compromise. For the 2023-24 winter season, Panorama Cycles is offering the Try Before You Buy program, allowing you to try out the Chick Chocks Carbon Fiber Fat Bike before buying. There is no other program like this. Check out PanoramaCycles.com for details. Lastly, don't forget to use the promo code BPA10 on any new bike purchase to save 10% at checkout. Now back to the show. All right. So, yeah, I don't have too many notes for today, but um, I thought we'd kind of leave it more in your ballpark and I would... I have not bike toured in France, so I'm really excited to talk about cycling in France. Oh, that's something France. I was going to ask you, if you'd actually been here or I, not. I have been to France, but that was in my yeah. uh, 20s when I was more into, like, I was backpacking, actually, at the time. So, mm, mm. And um, and your accent is definitely not French, so you got to tell me where you're from, Charlotte. <laughs> well, I've lived in France now for 30 years, all my adult life. Oh. But I grew up in England, okay. hence the accent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I have dual nationality, so okay, gotcha. I can flit to and fro. Yeah, yeah, because your 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 name is so French, yet your accent belies yeah. it. <laughs> yes, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 a privilege to to have both nationalities yeah, yeah. and to be able to, you know, to go from one country to the other and mm-hmm. 
And interestingly, it probably wasn't an issue for most people, like until Brexit happened, that people like never really worried about that. They're like, whatever, one's enough. And then all of a sudden, you're like, what's going on? Yeah, visas and all kinds of things. If you want to go there now, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, don't get me started on Brexit. We'll make another episode about Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, let's uh, let's introduce you, yeah. Charlotte Plovier. Yes, did I say it right? Uh, Plovier. Plovier, and. Yeah, um, my bad. And um, yeah, so as you mentioned, you're a dual citizen, French and British, and uh, yep. obviously something about over 30 years. So tell us a bit more about yourself. Um, I'm, um, I run, I swim, and I cycle. Oh, triathlon then, huh? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm hoping to get into triathlons this year. The swimming is very recent. Okay. I only learned to swim last year, so I'm just getting into that mm. now. I got into cycling maybe about 10 years ago, um, starting off like most people do with, you know, weekend trips, then week long, then month long. And every time you get back, you want something a little bit yeah, you know, longer and more adventurous. So I've done a lot of um, cycling in France, in Europe. And my biggest adventure to date was this time last year when I did the Mathematica, this word, the Tour Aotearoa. Yeah, I, I, I'm not you know, 100% sure how to say it properly either. But I uh, know. I don't have that Maori accent that is, you need to say the word. Known as TA, which yeah. is the, um, as a lot of cyclists will know, is the uh, New Zealand north to south, from the mm. top of the North Island to the south. And it's something like, is it like 3,000 kilometers or is it more? That's right. Yeah, it's from there. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. um, I was so jealous when I remember when you mentioned, messaged me and stuff. I was like, oh, that sounds so epic. I'm like, damn it. Yeah, that was my biggest trip to date. And I absolutely loved it. Um, And the the way in which I I do all this cycling is that my job is a freelance translator. So in fact, I, wherever I go, I don't actually take any holidays at all anymore. Wherever I go, I take my laptop with me. Okay. Um, and I work as I go along, which sometimes restricts some of the countries I can go to. There needs to be a at least a good phone signal mm-hmm. so I can get a hotspot on my phone. Um, and somewhere yeah. where I can you know, sit down. And yeah, things like Iran make it hard, even though you could get a good internet signal. It's just like not being able to access Gmail and Facebook and like any of these. Yeah. You know, locked. There needs to be apps. a minimum of. Yeah. yeah. That's well, that's really cool. All right. Well, I know we're not doing a podcast on you, but at the same time, oh, it's really goodness. it's really awesome to uh, yeah. to kind of get a sense of what you've done and where you've been. And and obviously today yeah. we're here to do a Bikepacking Beyond Borders episode on France, so Passport France. And that's really cool because I haven't personally bike toured in France and, um, you know, it's really is in the plans probably mm-hmm. not this summer because now I found out my mother and father-in-law are going to come to Canada for two months. So right that's uh it's gonna derail any thoughts of going to europe but potentially next year um mm-hmm. we'll have a chance to my wife and the baby and i and maybe even the dog huh? to fly right. to europe and uh, cycle in belgium maybe a little bit of holland maybe in france mm-hmm. germany that kind of thing mm-hmm. yeah so basically if you were to as probably imagine france it's shaped like a hexagon mm-hmm. if you were to cycle all the way around the hexagon it's actually 7,600 kilometers. Oh, that's huge. 
It's huge, even though France doesn't look that that big mm-hmm. on the map. And you can, in fact, cycle all the way around. It's not just one of these, you know, assumptions. Um, so basically, there are three main mountain ranges ranges in France. Two of which everybody knows: the Pyrenees and the Alps. Mm-hmm. And the third, lesser known one, is called the Massif Central, and that goes through the centre of France, um, starting about two thirds of the way down and down to the south coast. And that's a bit of a hidden gem, but we'll, I think we'll come on to that later. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And then the north and west part is flat, mostly flat, but not at all uninteresting. Okay. Very interesting for cycling, especially from a cultural point of view. Mm, so there it. really is such a variety of, of routes, of terrain, um, depending on what, what your interests are, what kind of, kind of cycling you, you enjoy. Um, do you know you know about the EVs we have in in Europe? Like electric the, vehicles? No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we have those too. <laughs> Euro Eurovelo. Oh yes, of course, yes. Yeah. Yes. So you have EV. Um, I don't know what they're up to now. Possibly twenty or something. Yeah, I was I was trying to calculate it once. It was like a hundred thousand kilometers or something around Europe, basically. They are amazing. The EVs because. Charlotte, can you? Uh, sorry, the, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. Um, I think are you using a microphone because you're a little bit close to it. I think it keeps um, has like a. All right. Okay. Yeah. Tell me if that's better. That's better. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yes, the EVs. They they take the the hassle out of route planning. Yeah. Because generally they're pretty well signposted. If you follow one, you can be sure you're not going to get onto some crazy road with lorries screaming past you nothing dangerous um, and when you get out a map and you look at them all it's just so inspiring you just want to get on your bike and you kind of <laughs> explore do. them all <laughs> yeah so in France we have seven I would say um so we have a route that goes all along all along the north coast, which is which is really nice. So starting from Calais, the place which is nearest to the UK, mm-hmm. and you come all down through Normandy into Brittany, and then you transfer onto another EV which goes all the way down the west coast. And for example, if you were coming with with your daughter and the yeah. dog and your wife, um. Might bring her. All of the Atlantic coast is on cycle paths. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's hundreds, hundreds of kilometers on cycle paths. Quick it's question. Really, really which good. which way are the prevailing winds? Like would you want to cycle south or would you want to head north? Like what's the what's the better option? The better option is to cycle south. Sites, down, south the, okay. down the west coast, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And it puts you on the water side, right? So uh yes, absolutely. Yep, yep, you're right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have other EVs that, that cross through the middle of the country. And one along the south coast. Um, and there's a route which comes through my home city, which is Lyon. 
Ah, you're from Lyon. Southeast, southeast France, which is called the Via Rona because it follows the the Rhone Valley. Ah, okay. Um, I have friends from Lyon. Have you? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, a couple yeah, friends. Yeah. It's a great actually it's drove a as a little segue i drove across canada with them I, they weren't really friends at the time they were just two couch surfers um that were doing a work and travel visa in canada and i was gonna cross canada and i forget where i mentioned it probably some couch surfing form and they were like we want to come and uh nice. so since then yeah we, we still keep in somewhat touch you know okay that's nice sorry and you were saying yeah. <laughs> oh i was just talking about the um the via rona which mm-hmm. is a 800 kilometer I mean there are so many possibilities the Via, the Via Rhone starts off in a glacier in Switzerland which is where the Rhone River starts Okay. crosses over Lake um, Lake Geneva through Geneva into France and ends up, comes through Lyon and ends up on the south coast oh very cool um, that, that's one I do a lot at weekends because it's, um, it's, it's close to my house yeah, so there's a huge, um, there's a very good website I would recommend, yeah. which is called um, France Vélo Tourisme. It, it's, it's a bit of a clunky website to, to navigate around, but it's full of information. It has every, I think it's only in French too, unfortunately, but it has every EV and it breaks it down uh-huh. stage by stage. So you can see the, the height gain, it tells you public transport you can get to the start or the finish and it's it's very very comprehensive anything to do with cycling in France anything to do with the routes in France it's it's amazing you just have to find your way around it it's a bit well the, the one good thing about nowadays is right if you're using like well if you're using Google websites or actually most websites I think you can just right click and translate to English and if you're if you don't know any French yeah problem yeah, yeah. solved you know it's not that big a deal yeah, that's probably why they never bother to translate it into English. They guess that's yeah. what everybody would be doing. And uh, they're right. Although I had somebody criticize once. I was doing some blog posts a while back, and they're like, how come you don't write them in French? And I was like, well, you just translate. It's going to be a lot easier than me having like yeah. do it for you and yeah. probably have it make full of mistakes and then get criticized for making mistakes, you know? Mind you, as a freelance translator, I'm not going to go around promoting translate or any (laughs) I didn't think about that artificial intelligence that's my enemy enemy number one (laughs) oh that's too much yeah yeah, Yeah, I'm sorry Um, actually they should hire a translator like uh, you I think that's a very good idea yes I think I'll get onto that I'll send them an email yeah absolutely (laughs) (laughs) so yeah um yeah, so coming back to the kind of geography mm-hmm. of France, obviously the climate is hugely different from north to south. Massively. Um, a lot of people, when they think of coming to France, they think about the south of France as being a really good kind of tourist destination. I would say it's not actually very good for cycling for several reasons. Um, it's super hot. Very super hot which is not which is great if you're going to lie on the beach all day but if you're cycling it's not really what you want it's very windy lots of people don't know that it's expensive it's pretty crowded in the summer the campsites are huge and you know it's international tourism it's mass Mm -hmm. tourism 
not at its best. Um, and the 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 main cycle route that goes along the south of France. Once you get to, I think around Marseille, so about halfway along, it actually leaves the coast and goes inland. So you're not actually going to see all the uh, kind okay. of you know, Saint Tropez and all these places you probably like to visit. It's difficult to cycle because it's the mountains almost come down to the sea, and you tend to have the mountains coming down, the railway line, the road, mm-hmm. and the sea. There's no space for any cycle path. Yeah, there. I've been to the south of France. It was pretty busy, as you mentioned. Yeah, it's not. It's, it's, it's not the best of France mm-hmm. in the South. I'm, I'm a bit biased. People, people would disagree with me probably there, but there's so much, there's so many other things to see yeah. which are more authentic and more culturally interesting. Like if you're cycling along the North, you've got the D-Day beaches. Yeah, I would love to go are, check some of those out. Yeah, which are, which are really interesting. And then, yeah, there's lots of, small towns that have really interesting buildings and history and stuff going on in the summer festivals and things so yeah I would definitely more recommend the north and the the west the Atlantic coast oh, that's good to know than the south yeah yeah um, what else can we talk about and um, I guess the east if you love mountains right the east yeah I mean the Alps there, there is a quite a famous. I think it's called the Grande Traversée des Alpes, but it's really for if you're on a road bike. Okay. It's, yeah. it's what they do in the Tour de France, you know. It's yeah, the, yeah. It's huge mountains to go over, but I, it, must, it is amazing. I'm I sure would love to climb a few of them in, in my, you know, before I yeah I leave this kind world at some point. <laughs> yes, it, it is, and it is. It's very popular in the summer with um, especially with the Dutch. They come in hordes to get to, to to cycle. Just probably because Holland is so flat, and they're like, "Where can we go train? We need to go somewhere, right?" Yeah. Well, I admire them because I don't know how much training they get in before they arrive, but mm. very keen. You, you see them all over the place with the bikes on top of their cars in the summer. Um. Yeah. So, if you wanted to come to France and stitch together different regions and different cycle routes you would need to take a train yeah now taking a train with your bike in france is a little bit complicated um it depends what type of train okay you're taking basically there are, there are three types of trains that's what they call the ter the r standing for regional oh, okay yep even though they can actually go quite a long way and they they're quite slow with frequent stops then you have the intercities and the TGV which are the high speed trains Mm -hmm. now on the TER you can just roll up with your bike and get on oh okay I didn't know it was that easy no problem yeah the only exception to that is some of the kind of popular places in the summer like from Lyon in July and August and they limit the number of bikes to 25 in a train. 25 is uh, not okay. huge. Yeah. But sometimes on a Saturday morning or coming back on a Sunday evening to the city, they have too many bikes. They can't take them all. Right. So I think it was last year they started a system where when you buy your ticket, you have to book your bike onto the train. It's free. 
but you have to say you've got a bike. Okay. So after 25, they say stop. That's a different train. T-E-R trains, yeah? T-E-R trains, Mm -hmm. yeah. And those trains, um, the price price is fixed. So if you buy your ticket two months ahead or the day before, it's the same price. The um, the high-speed trains, they only allow four bicycles per train. Oh, really? Okay. So you can imagine it's quite hard to get your bike onto the train. Mm. You got to book months ahead of time, probably. Like- you have to. You have to book quite a long time in advance, and it costs ten euros for each train, not necessarily for the journey. So if you change trains halfway, oh. then you've got to pay another ten euros for the next train. And can you get in a? Can you get stuck where, like, for instance, you've got your bike? You can only get your bike booked on like two of the trains, and then you're like, oh no, like. I, I guess, uh, no, theoretically. Probably you would have bought a through ticket at the beginning. Oh, okay. So you'd probably be all set up. But they'd be yeah. charging you 10 euros for each mm. leg within that single ticket. Right. Yeah. So the way of getting around that, I, lo- I looked at the website before talking to you. You're allowed to take a bike on a train if you take off the front wheel. Uh-huh. The dimensions they give are 130 centimeters by 90 centimeters. Okay. So I reckon that's so drop, front your, wheel drop your seat. Oh. Turn your handlebars. Your yeah. Don't know about the handlebars. Probably, yeah. Drop the handlebars too. And it's supposed to be in a bag. Yeah, no, yeah. It has, to, it has to be in a bag. But I have seen people on trains where they just put it in a huge bin bag <laughs> and show you a trash bag and they put tape all around it and they I, they're not gonna yeah bother that's, you with that. that's such so a good as, that's such a good thing yeah. to know it's like when i recorded the episode with carl on on japan and like mm-hmm. he was borrowing my mobile bag because it's it's not really a bag per se like you can't pick up the bag and not you have to hold the bike because it's just a cover but it mm-hmm. looks like a bag and acts like a bag and it's the same thing in japan it was just it, it shortens your wheelbase and then all of a sudden it's okay yeah. I mean, I can understand that if you didn't have it in a bag, get you could get dirty. oil over, yeah. you know, you get oil over somebody's Louis Vuitton suitcase or something next to you. So, yeah, so I understand why they insist on that. The only disadvantage with having it like that in a bag is if you have to change trains and you haven't got very long, mm. scoop, scooping the thing up in your hand. Yeah. And you've got, yeah, you've got your other bags too. Mm-hmm. Scooping it up and carrying it over to another train somewhere is a lot more difficult than just pushing it. Yeah, yeah. Putting yeah. the bags on and pushing it over. Um, but um, and also I've I've never seen ticket inspectors walking around with tape measures, you know, checking the one thirty centimeter rule. But yeah, so. And the high-speed trains, um, the pricing works like low-cost airlines. The further ahead you book, the cheaper the, the tickets. Okay. And ticket prices vary enormous, enormously. On the same train, you can have somebody who's paid 15 euros sitting next to somebody who's paid over 100 just because of the time, the time they've booked. So it's really worth booking the TGVs well ahead. That's good to know. Um, whereas the TERs doesn't matter at all. 
And it's pretty, it's a good train network. Um, for example, if, you, if you're flying into Charles de Gaulle Airport, mm-hmm. you don't have to go into Paris to get, you probably want to go to Paris, but if you didn't. If you're uh, smart, trains, you wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. well, cycling in Paris, honestly, cycling has changed so much in France oh, in has the it? last yeah, 10 years or so. A lot of the uh, the big cities have swung green, including oh, okay. Lyon, Paris, Bordeaux, and the yeah the, the 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 new mayors have just invested hugely in cycle paths. So cycling, I've cycled through Paris, and it's 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 easy, it's great. Mm. Lots of dedicated. Wherever you are on a bike, it tells you where where to go you know oh that's awesome you, you follow markings on the on the road mm-hmm. and um like here in Lyon, we um you can go through any red light as long as you look oh i like that and, and you can cycle the wrong way down one way streets oh that's amazing hairy sometimes. yeah i think we call we call that here we call it an idaho stop um which means you just kind of come up slowly take a look or you know, it could be a touch and go, like just kind of slow down, technically stop and then go again. You don't, or, you know, for even light, red lights, you know, mm. as long as it's clear. But here, here, here it's so bad. Like cars get so angry when bikes don't stop. And I'm like, you do yeah. realize the amount of energy it takes to start up again on a bike, you know, and if yeah. and we're going yeah, so yeah. slow anyways, if we slow down and we look, you know, it's not the same as a car. But yeah, it's more like a pedestrian. But the yeah, argument, the way a pedestrian yeah, would cross. The argument yeah. never ends. So that's amazing that you yeah. guys have that. Um, yeah, it, so it's, a, it's officially allowed. Not just Idaho. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so cycling, cycling through whether it's Paris or another city, is certainly nothing to be afraid of, or you know, even oh, if you're good. with kids or something. Mm-hmm. It's. Um, it's all changed a lot in the last 10, 15 years. It really has. Oh, that's amazing. Because I know if I go to France, I have to go to Paris. Like, my wife will murder me if we oh, don't. Yeah. You do have to go to Paris. Yeah. I've been before. So, I mean, I have friends there, yeah. so too. So, it's okay. I would I would love to go again. Yeah. And there's even a, an EV that goes. This one I didn't know about, actually. I saw it on the map. An EV that goes through the center of Paris. Oh, really? Yeah, it's called the um, Scandiberique, which sounds like it goes from Scandinavia to Portugal by the name. That's right. Yeah, I yeah comes in comes in from Belgium, goes through the centre of Paris, along the Loire Valley, down to Bordeaux, and then down. Actually, oh, it goes to um, the Camino. It goes to oh, the El Camino, Santiago. The Santiago. Yeah. Have you written that? The... I know that's a... No. No. Okay. No, I haven't, but... Because um... it starts it's in France, right? It's a, it, it, be, it does begin in France. Oh, and... Yeah. There's, there's so many different groups talk about it officially, that join right? up now. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, so it's the EV3, which is the official cycle route, if you want to cycle oh, okay. to cycle the Camino. Nice. Yeah. So you can cycle through the center of Paris. Yeah, I think no uh, I think big cities get a they get a bad rep, right? Like, um, mm. And I think 
things change and you don't realize it. So like, I would have mm-hmm. never guessed that Paris is super bike friendly now. Yeah. Um, the same way, probably here in Canada, a lot of people wouldn't guess that Montreal is really, really, really good. Like they have invested many millions of dollars to make cycling infrastructure and make it accessible and like, you know, um, lanes and everything. So it's, it's a whole different story. It's not what it used to be. It's, it's really quite, quite well done. Um, there's always room yeah. for improvement, but it is, uh, it's quite special. Yeah. It's quite controversial here because they, they keep taking away, um, roads that used to be three lanes yes two, and now they're going down to one lane what used to be a three lane road is now one lane and then the cars and, complain oh yeah there's a bit of a yeah all that but hey we voted in the greens so. that's right you guys that's amazing majority yeah exactly so moving on mm-hmm. what should we talk about next food um yeah, so getting around uh, other options like buses and stuff is it is it a doable thing right. with bikes? Um, or is it just there aren't that stick- many buses in France? We have you know the if you had a flex bus. Yes, so somebody else talked yeah. about flex, and they they did talk about how it was. I forget who it was though, but the relatively easy. I think they went up all the way to Germany um, with a flex and their bikes, and but I don't remember all the details, but. I know that flex buses. Some of them have a like a rack on the back of the bus, okay. where you they they take bikes, and that's supposed to be when you book, when you book your ticket, it tells you whether you can take your bike or not. Okay. But again, I think it's the same thing as in the trains. If you make it look like it's a piece of luggage, yeah. If it's not going to um, get everything dirty, and it's. Uh, and also in the flex buses, the. The driver doesn't load. You, everybody just puts in their own suitcase in the hold. The driver doesn't actually see really mm. what's going in. He just stays, you know, behind, or she just stays behind they're the not, wheel. They're not paid to, like, worry about that. <laughs> no, and you have to pay, I think it's like five euros per case. Okay. So I think it's the same thing. If you, if you made it look like it's just a slightly oversized piece of luggage, you, you'd probably be okay. Mm-hmm. But they do get a bit manhandled in those holes, you know. On on a, on a train, it's it's in a luggage rack, and you yeah. keep an eye on it, and yeah, everybody's very civilized. Yeah. So if you're on loading buses, it on, if you're doing yeah. the bus thing, you might want to make sure you're standing outside to like if somebody needs, you know, so you can kind of watch your bike and make sure it doesn't get crushed. Yeah. Right. So. Because somebody wants a bag from the middle is getting off. They want a bag in the middle. They're gonna lug off everyone's luggage, get their bag out, push everything back on again. Mm-hmm. And you don't know this is going on because you're still in the bus. Yeah, I always get a little paranoid on buses anyways. I'm always like staring yeah. out the windows, hoping somebody doesn't off with my bike or bag or something, you know, like, I well, know. I don't know yeah, why. What's, I'm what's just always to, worried. I'm like, ah, because it'd be so easy. Yeah. 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 And even on trains, in fact, the train that goes along the south coast, another reason not to go to the south, they give warnings about your luggage keeping an eye on your luggage and you see people at stops you see people looking out of the window like checking the people getting off they haven't got their suitcase you know, yeah, yeah. their suitcase but that's something that's specific to the south of France um, um, yeah so we were saying let's yeah, talk about yeah so tra- trains are definitely a better option okay. than the buses and even bu- though buses are cheaper okay that's good good to also, know also the buses they tend to be these very long distance buses they're going like from Berlin to Lisbon or something okay so 
and good if you're relocating countries and want to get cheap yeah you can wait an hour for them to come so there's a traffic jam somewhere then the whole journey gets delayed right accumulates going down the line mm-hmm. it's like a Canadian um, train yeah so trains better than buses I would say alright that's good to know and of course yeah. there's also the option of planes like, like if you're going to do a long relocation let's say Lisbon to Hamburg you might as well just jump on a, a budget airline and go to the sure. bike shop and grab a box and throw your bike in there and you know you'll be faster you'll be more comfortable probably cost you the same in the end but yeah um, if you Absolutely. if you can get a budget ticket yeah yeah mm-hmm. okay what about uh yeah food uh we know the french love their food so this could be a good topic yeah, we do love our food um before continuing on with the show i'd like to thank some of the show's sponsors for supporting the podcast Redshift Sports was founded in 2013 by a team of mechanical engineers who also happen to be avid cyclists. From the beginning, they focused on taking a different approach to product development, drawing on their experiences and needs to create components that make a meaningful difference to the riding experience. The highly popular shock stop suspension system smooths out road imperfections, reduces fatigue and strain. You can check them out at redshiftsports.com. Tailfin Cycling, designer of technical bike packing equipment, has been creating waves in the cycling community for several years, having stepped outside the conventional boundaries of bike packing equipment to find unique solutions that make the adventure all the better. Whether an endurance racer, bike tour, or bike packer, these bags offer solutions for everyone, from their unique rear rack with quick release mechanism to their ingenious locking mechanism on the panniers that provide a rattle-free bike packing experience. Tailfin continues to push the envelope. I'm extremely pleased to be part of the R&D division of Tailfin to represent them on all my adventures and to have them supporting the podcast. Now back to the show. So, cycling and eating. Where shall I start? Uh, well, I we'll g- start with bre- breakfast. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Start. Breakfast. <laughs> well, we don't really do breakfast, which is a... Uh, my favorite meal of the day. So it's hard, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> North Americans, we like love our breakfast. So do the Australians and yeah. yeah. And it's very hard. Well, no, it's not very hard. It's 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 virtually impossible to get a, a breakfast. Mm. Other other than going into a bakery. That's what I was and, doing in Europe. Yeah. Lots yeah. of bakeries. I mean, if you if you're gluten free or something, it's a nightmare. Yeah, you're Breakfast, <laughs> at least because yeah. everything everything is around wheat, croissant, mm. pain chocolat, baguette, and bakeries normally do sandwiches, but they don't bring them out until about half past ten or eleven o'clock. You know, they make them in the morning and they bring right. them out for lunch. So, <clears throat> yeah, breakfast is get a good coffee, but. <laughs> Breakfast, you have to buy your own stuff the day before and do your own thing for breakfast. Um, so moving on to lunch. Lunch is one of the big um, good value options in France. Okay. Because if you are if you want to like, eat at a cafe or a restaurant, everything is a lot cheaper at lunchtime. They'll have an evening menu and a lunchtime menu. And plat du jour, you know, a dish of the day. And at lunchtime, those are those are really really good value for money. Mm. The same the same restaurant will double its prices in the evening. Oh, that big a difference, yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And there's a lot of 
quite a lot of competition to attract lunchtime um, lunchtime diners. Do you say that? Yeah, I guess the, the idea makes sense. You know, if you can get enough people in at lunch that you cover your operating costs for the day, then, mm. you know, the dinners come, diners come in at supper and it's mostly can kind of be profit, right? So like all this, or not just profit, yeah. but cover the costs of the ingredients maybe and make some money, you know, but probably lunch there to try and just to break even and cover overheads like electricity and salaries or who knows. Probably also in the evening, people stay a lot longer. Oh, that's right. They take so up twice as long. So lunchtime, you know. they can probably get three, three people at your table at lunchtime. Mm, true. Three covers. The evening, you just stay all evening. They get one, one person for each table, well, one couple for each table. Yeah. And the only thing they might buy is an extra bottle of wine or something. And Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, and another good thing about French cafes and restaurants, especially at lunchtime, is that um, if you see like a sign saying "plat du jour ten euros," well, you actually pay just ten euros because oh. there's no pressure to buy a drink. You just add like flat water, please, and nobody bats an eyelid. They bring you a big jug of water. Mm-hmm. There's no cover charge. The service is included, so you know you really you really only pay what's marked on the blackboard outside. Okay. Whereas other countries, you know, like Italy, oh, where they have cover charges, Spain, they won't serve you tap water because they they thought they they always make you buy a bottle of um, mm-hmm. mineral water. Mm-hmm. So yeah, France is is pretty good for that. Um. Buying your own food. Uh, Did I lose you? Yeah, there were small okay. supermarkets around. Also, lots of small towns and villages will have a butcher, charcutier. Oui, that's demi yes. Oui. <laughs> And it's worth bringing like vegetarians into this too, because in fact, if you if a vegetarian goes into a butcher's or a charcutier, they always have a deli part too, where they sell salads, you know, by the kilo. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. To you, know, just, yeah. you just say, we say what you want, and they scoop it into a plastic container, and they do actually have things which are vegetarian in in butchers. And they're generally very good because they're, you know, homemade stuff. So, yeah, vegetarians should never be afraid of going into butchers to, to look for something. Interesting fact, right? Yeah, I remember when I when I traveled France, it was literally, yeah, I don't remember having extraordinary breakfast, but lunches, I usually no. bought a baguette, bought some cheese and yeah. meat at the store. If I was a grocery store, probably maybe a butcher as well, I don't remember, and then a bottle of wine. And I'd just sit in the park and uh, have a... Have a, a déjeuner, you know? Absolutely. Yep, it's absolutely. Good. And it was cheap. I think the whole thing would mm. cost me like five euros or something silly. Yeah, yeah. Might cost you a bit more now. It was it? probably more. <laughs> Maybe as daydreaming. Yeah. Maybe the wine was. Yeah. No. <laughs> also, vegetarians, every every small town has its kebab, kebab shop. Mm. And um, they will also do... Um, Falafel, right? Some might have falafel mm. because they're generally North African 
Lebanese. Falafel's more Lebanese. Right. Yeah, kebabs can come from lots of different yeah, exactly. Middle Eastern, North African countries. The ones we have in France are normally North African. Whereas falafel's more Lebanese, Middle Eastern. Yeah. But what they will do in kebab shops is that they will, you know, they have all the salad ingredients out there. They will fill your piece of bread with a whole load of salad, give you fries on the side. You don't have to have the meat, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So that's another option for hungry. Yeah, you get your vegetables, you get some bread, you get some fries. Yeah. So it's a it's a good go between, right? Mm-hmm. You have to be aware of opening times, especially lots of places close for lunch. Small supermarkets in towns will close at lunchtime. The butchers close. Uh-huh. The bakers close not until about half past one or so, whereas the others will close earlier. But, you know, this, this, it's not a myth that, especially in the summer, places just close down completely. By one o'clock, you couldn't hear a pin drop. So it's not, just a Sp- it's not just a Spain thing in Siesta. It's just like it's... It's anywhere where it's uh, hot, right? Yeah, well, it's, it's when it's hot, but I think they do it all year round, actually. Okay. Having said that, they will stay, they stay open until about seven p.m. Right. Yeah. Which is which is good. So in but in Iran, um, it was similar with my wife's. Um, like even my wife's, uh, her father's pharmacy closes from like you know I don't know two o'clock till four o'clock or one thirty till well yeah. whenever he wants to open up again you know so people will just be queuing he'd be like mm. okay i guess i should get back to work you know <laughs> yeah yeah. but exactly. um you know it's hot so everybody just takes a break yeah and they're doing a full day's work because generally they're be open eight, late. Yeah. eight o'clock till one and then three mm-hmm. till seven so yeah it's yeah. not a yeah, not being lazy about it. and everybody it's goes about it the same way so everybody goes home and has a nap or wherever you know? yeah very civilized. <laughs> um, in fact, talking about food, we could also come on to um, wild camping. Okay. Camping out because, I mean, wild camping is tolerated. It's a bit of a gray area in France. It's tolerated so long as you're responsible and you put up your tent in the evening and you take it down. Okay in the morning um, but the one thing that isn't really isn't allowed and is really not responsible is lighting a stove outside we've had so many terrible fires oh. over the last few years and nobody will say anything about you putting up a tent but if they see you with a stove probably, you'll probably have the police onto you oh no it's kidding really wow, okay. yeah um Obviously, if you're in a campsite, then no problem. But if you're camping out um, in the countryside somewhere, you'd have to stick with cold food and okay. not not heat anything up. And if you're like passing through a town and there's a picnic table, is that the place? Like you can cook there? Is that a safe thing to do, or would that still be frowned upon? I think that would. You would depend, like exactly what the in the immediate environment was like um, mm-hmm. time, of, time of the year on, too especially if it's yeah, dry season yeah. Yeah. yeah on the picnic table I don't know that'd probably be alright 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking more about if you were wild camping, you'd probably have the stove on the ground somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes maybe maybe the in in like I know for me personally too, like I don't mind stopping early to cook. Like even the other night, I stopped in Wakefield, which is an hour plus ride away from my house uh, or from where I camped. I camped just down the road, um, but I I stopped there because there's a picnic table and there's a washroom nearby, and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to stop here, cook, eat, pack up, and then I'll get on my way riding, you know? So I had access to a picnic table. I wasn't sitting on the ground. It's easier, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And then I was camping an hour, two hours later, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah, so while camping is generally um, tolerated except in some national parks um, they were generally if you if you can't while camp there will be some signs up somewhere telling you you can't um, but the time I said that I mean there, there were plenty of campsites and they're relatively cheap right yeah I think in Europe I think I remember in you on, on, a, on a previous podcast talking about how ridiculously expensive they are in Canada. Is that they're right? Crazy. Yeah, they're and not. How they, yeah. they, that's like a minimum charge. Yeah, they usually, right? they usually don't distinguish between a bicycle and a 30-foot camper, you know? Yeah. So they just mm. charge you $50 or whatever it is. And um, I've been to a couple places where they have like $10 a night for bikes, but it's very, very mm. uncommon, so... Right. It's more in the U.S. They have that. Um, Europe is typically a lot cheaper as well, I think. Mm. And Europe is a generalized statement, I guess. Uh, yeah. I think I had heard Germany and probably France is affordable. You know? Yeah, sometimes they, they do have like a minimum charge, which is two people, car and tent, and they won't go beyond that. But even that is about 20 euros, I'd say. Okay. So that's probably the the most you're going to pay. When I went down the Atlantic coast, um, I camped most nights and I was paying between 15 and 20. Mind you, it was in May, so it, it was a bit off season. Mm-hmm. Prices do come down a bit. But um, yeah, the, you know, the facilities, they're generally quite good. You, you get quite good facilities for your money. And normally in a campsite, there's a, a snack, which is a little cafe restaurant. I had lost you for a second. You said normally there's a like cafe, is that? Yeah, a snack. Mm. Oh, okay. they, they call they call they call them a snack. A snack. Okay. Which is like, it's not something you eat. It's where you go to. It's yeah, where yeah. you go to eat. <laughs> Where's the snack? Where's the snack? Yeah. And some of them do. They do basic food, but it's it's, it's quite good normally. You know, steak mm. and fries and pizzas and burgers and good salads normally too. Good salads. Yeah, and you got um, your showers and you have a yeah, yeah. flat space yeah. to sleep. So, like there's lots of good mm. things about camping. So yeah, I mean some people prefer wild camping, but campsites, you, you, you get something in exchange for your money, I would say in a yeah. French campsite. And we had a we had a presenter at the last at the summit last year. Uh this mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it is January now, last year. And, you know, they said that um, one thing they really like about campsites, too, is they always sleep better. Where you wild camp, yeah. you always have this, 
you never get a really deep sleep because you got this like inherent sense that somebody's going to find you or, you know, this and that and not, not anything worse, but like just the sense that you're going to get discovered and have to explain yourself. And, and then also when you go to a campsite, you just, you know, you can feel comfortable, you lock up your bike and you actually get a good sleep. Yeah. I actually, I have a, like a piece of rope, which I tie around my bike and I have it either coming into my tent with me or I'm lying on top of it. Uh-huh. It's like under 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 my tent. So if anybody touches my bike during the night, I it'll, it'll wake me up. Yeah. And nobody ever has. But knowing knowing that if they do, I will be woken up. It just means I sleep better. Yeah. Yeah, it's a sense of security and peace, right? Yeah. Like- yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I use um I use typically a little airport travel cable lock you know um Mm. lock it to anything i can find and but yeah i like the idea of having something you know like the string tied around your toe kind of thing but not literally (laughs) mind you then they drag you out of the tent and (laughs) it'd be the bike with you on the end of the (laughs) the end of the piece of string across the field um yeah so campsites warm showers lots of warm showers in in france that's a pretty good option. Yeah, I've uh, well, I used couch for, surfing, but um, yeah, that was yeah. some years ago, and um, mm. definitely warm showers is my go-to now if I'm going to yeah. use that route. And a great way of meeting meeting people. Um, so, and then Airbnb um, can be a bit pricey, but there's quite a lot of people that do Airbnb where they just rent out a room in their house. Yeah. Sometimes you can use their kitchen too, um, to cook an evening meal. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit like a bit like warm showers, except you're paying for it. Um, and those tend to be much more reasonable, especially if there's two of you. Yeah, you know, if you're sharing the cost, you're not you're not yeah. solo solo cycling. Um, yeah, so combining warm showers, campsites, a bit of wild camping, Airbnb, you'll always find somewhere comfortable not too expensive to sleep. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, and it depends on your budget. If you're on a really tight budget, then just mm-hmm. camp more, uh, wild camp yep. more. Um, yeah. Exactly. Make the campsite stops every few days just to shower up and smell good, you know? And mm-hmm. and then uh, if you have a little bit more budget, you can enjoy a little bit more luxuries. And Or if you're cycling with your, in like my case, wife and baby, there'll be a lot more warm showers and campsites and which is fine. Yeah. I'm happy with that. You know, as long as we're all doing it together. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um. We we kind of jumped from food to accommodation. That's all right. They ordered without men, without without we jumped over the drink. People, because France they don't drink, right? It's like dry. No, no, you're right. <laughs> no yeah, we don't have to mention that one. But th- actually, there is something I'd say about um. The kind of etiquette. If you're if you're cycling through a wine region, mm-hmm. and you kind of want to, but you want a bottle of local wine, and you're going past all these places where they say, you know, vente à la propriété, where they're they're selling, they're they're making and selling their own wine, oh. and you're kind of thinking, oh, do we dare go up just to buy one bottle? Because obviously you can't carry more. Yeah, than yeah. One bottle. Um. You can't really, you can't really do it because if you, if you go up to a small wine making place, 
they see you coming, they stop what they're doing, they get the key to the cellar, they come out, mm. smile and wave at you, they open up the whole cellar for you, switch on all the lights, get out the stuff for tasting, and you're there thinking, oh no, I only wanted one bottle, and you know, they're doing right. all this for me. Yeah, And it gets a little bit awkward. I mean, they would they would sell you one bottle, but they they really, you know, they're geared up more to selling a minimum of six in a, in a box. Yeah, and and the time that they're taking to do this for you yeah. is like where they're you know to they're to not, make a little yeah. tiny bit of profit off one bottle of wine, it's it's costing them more. Just yeah, in, you know, it's a little yeah. bit embarrassing to do it that way. But what you can do is if if you look on like Google Maps or something, Cave Cooperatif. Um, wine re- the towns in a wine region will have a carve cooperative and they either make wine the, all the the, the the wine the grape what do they call them vignerons mm-hmm. yeah. vineyards yeah but the people who work in them are oh. all the wine growers yeah I uh, guess yeah, wine, wine growers, growers. Yeah. The small, the small wine growers around will sell their grapes to the Carve Cooperative and then they'll make one wine with them. Oh, okay. Which you can buy at the Carve Cooperative. And Carve or is like C A R V E? C A V E. Carve, okay. Like Stella. Yeah, yeah, yep. okay, yeah. And, um, but also you have Carve Cooperative where they sell all the wines from all the individual winemakers all around. So the same bottle of wine you would have bothered the people for half an hour earlier yeah. you'll find it on the shelves and you can taste there and it's, it's like a shop that's open so you can you can walk in you can taste if you don't like it you can walk and you out you don't have to feel bad <laughs> to buy no, just you one buy bottle buy one bottle and they won't bat an eyelid and yeah that, that's a really good solution for tasting yeah that's a great solution because i guess like they're getting paid you know a salary or a wage and mm-hmm. where if you stop at the independent wine grower like they don't get paid you know they don't make yeah. a wage if you know what i mean they don't get paid by the hour they're just they do their yeah. job you know exactly well that's cool yeah and and but I'll, of course you could just stop and you could do a winery tour and um as you well have I don't, winery tours they don't really. do that there huh? it's, uh, not like, it's not uh, a thing yeah it's new world wine they yes. do winery tours well you know they might do it in bordeaux bordeaux is a little bit separate okay to the rest of the rest of the other rest of france um why is that? No, and then I, I've seen in other places like Australia and New mm-hmm, Zealand yeah. and South Africa where they have restaurants and things in the winery. No, I don't have that. That's not a thing. Okay. No. Good to know. Tourism and winemaking are kind of... If you're planning on doing winery tours, um, go to somewhere else. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Go to Australia. Um, oh, actually, another really little point, but I will just mention yeah. it. If you're in a little supermarket and you want like a kind of one can of Coke or one bottle of water or something, in France they tend to everything is in packs of six, and they put them on the shelves with plastic wrapping around them, and you're allowed to break it open and take out one. And lots of lots of foreigners don't realise. Oh, I didn't know that, so that they, either. They have yeah. to buy six. But any, they just put them like that because lots of people want to buy six, and mm. they just pick up a pack and put it in their trolley. But there's no obligation to buy six. You just oh. get your fingernails and crack at the plastic. Yeah, yeah. Pull out a bottle. And that goes for beer, Coke. No and kidding. even even anything that's in a pack, 
on the shelf. You don't have to buy the whole pack. Very interesting. Yeah. I would never have guessed Just that. Just a little, little tip there, a little shopping, shopping tip. <laughs> yeah, I remember, though, uh, when, I, when I traveled through France and Germany and whatnot, mm. um, I mean, this was 15, 16 years ago. Um, it was ridiculously cheap by Western, not by Western, by North American standards for beer and wine. It was just yeah, really affordable. Um, so, you know, it's always a, it's a great option, um, place to have a, you could have your daily beer and it's not going to kill your budget. How much do you pay for a beer then in Canada? In the shop, in if the you cafe. buy, okay. So if you buy a oh. normal, um, let's say in the shop first, if you yeah. buy a normal beer, um, maybe $3, and right. if you buy like an IPA, it could be $5, like a can yeah, of whatever. Bucks, yeah. yeah. And if you go to this mm-hmm. restaurant, like a bar, um, a normal beer might be 7 $8 for a pint. And an IPA could be 10 11 12 something like that. Right. Yeah, it's pricey here. Yeah. I would say a, a can of beer is about €1.50 in a supermarket. Okay. But a, but a pint is... Now. Okay. There isn't such a big difference if you're in a cafe. Okay. Yep. But uh, lots of places you just get a half. <laughs> what about like um, water and stuff in in France? Is it is it potable in most places? Like uh, can yeah, you, can every, you fill up in everywhere. like sinks and? Yeah, anywhere that's got a proper app. Okay. Oh, another another good tip where I think about it is um, cemeteries always have taps. Yes. Perhaps you already know that. Um, yeah, they don't always have taps here in Canada, but typically, typically they yeah. do. Um, and it's a really good place. Often it's like around the back, but there's there's always a tap at the cemetery. It's a really good place to fill up your, your water bottles and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, when bikepacking, it's always a good place to sleep too because it's quiet. But uh, I don't know how that works in Europe, if that's a respectful thing to do or somebody's going to get angry. Yeah, I think if you're wild camping near a cemetery you're just compounding your nighttime fears yeah yeah it's dead quiet <laughs> dead quiet exactly <laughs> um, so that's tips for sleeping eating, I guess another another thing is drinking, um, yep. that might that might interest um, maybe more North American listeners um, yep. wildlife is not a huge issue right like um, or what, what, what issues are there with wildlife when camping in, in France? You know, like I'm, I'm assuming there's, there's no bears. There's probably no moose for the most part. Um, there's nothing. The only wildlife you may see is wildlife that you want to see, like a deer. Okay. No, there's, no, there's definitely Coyotes, not an issue at all. Fox, no, foxes are pretty shy anyways, even if there were foxes. Foxes wouldn't come near you. No, exactly. The, o- the only thing, like if you're hiking, that people blow it out of proportion is wild boar. There oh, are yeah. wild boar around. You, you, you see signs of them because you mm-hmm. see where they... Um, They've tussled. They the, scrape, yeah. you know, and they scrape the ground and everything. And a female wild boar with little, little wild boars, whatever they're called, they're not piglets, they can are they? Charge. Whatever they are. Yeah. Uh, cubs? No. I don't know. Yeah, they, they can charge, but you know, you're unlikely to come across them, to be okay. honest. And again, they'll stay clear of you. So, no, it's really not an issue at all. 
at all. We're having huge problems with wild boars in Canada these days. Um, oh, yeah? They, at some point, somebody decided that wild boar was a, was a sustainable farming thing. And so they built all these farms and I guess somehow, I don't know how this happened, but anyways, at some point the prices dropped and they just released them into the wild. And now they're, they're ravaging Northern us and Western Canada. And you know, they just destroy entire crop fields and kill everything. Yeah. They, they eat everything. They, mm -hmm. any animal that's on the ground that's accessible gets murdered and they oh, just wow. dig up vegetation. So they make it other hard, harder for other animals to eat. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a problem. So, now they're out on now they're trying to figure out what to do like do we just and they said you can't hunt them because they're so smart that if you go and hunt them traditionally with weapons now they learn to avoid people and they're even harder to catch so you have to use different methods that they're trying to develop and yeah it's crazy so anyway actually talking about hunting coming back to danger yeah. is probably the biggest danger is oh. hunters uh weekends you know they Hunters are not the most popular. You love them or you hate them. Most people hate them. Yeah. Um, especially in sometimes in some rural areas, they can have a, a lot of wine with their lunch and they go out in the afternoon and there's all supposed to be all these rules, you know, about staying away from footpaths at a distance. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, probably 99% of them respect those rules. But it just takes... A couple of or one yeah. hunter that doesn't, and every year people are killed. Oh, they are. Huh? It is happening. Yeah. I mean, mostly walkers. Mm -hmm. But if you're mountain biking somewhere, yeah, it's a stray bullet. It 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 really does happen. It's not a you know, it's not an overblown. Yeah, or, yeah. Exagger exaggeration. It could be a problem danger. here, I think, too. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, even like with bikepacking routes, you know, we'll say like, come hunting season, you really need to yeah to weigh the balance the pros and cons of being out there you know and and wear reflective clothing have a bear bell like have make noise you know like don't be uh don't be, try to be flying silently through the woods you know yeah yeah i'm talking about the seasons it's it's generally the autumn when they're yeah. when they're hunting here not in the summer in sweden when i lived in south south sweden um the hunters would just sit on like a little stool right in the middle of the path that everybody's using and oh. because it was I mean, on the same note, they have really, really high, strict um, requirements to have a hunting license and have to be allowed to use a gun in Sweden. And so people really respect it. I don't think they get drunk and hunt. And we would come flying down a path and the guy would just stand up, take a step aside. We'd go by him. He'd sit back down and he'd carry on waiting for the boars or anything, you know, like um, just a hello on the way by. And that was that. And I was always so blown. Weird. I'm like, man, they must be so pissed off, man, that we came by, we made all this noise. And they're like, no, they're out here because they're passionate for hunting and they're waiting for their chance. And they know that, you know, we all share the same path and it's just the way it is. I was like, well, at least there's a the respect there, you know? That seems a bit weird sitting on a stool and waiting for the animals. <laughs> yeah. I thought normally you, you go out looking for them, you know more actively yeah i think because people just make noise right so you're better off just waiting because yeah. they'll come to you naturally okay you're like let's not go down this path this is where great grandpa whatever was shot <laughs> says one pig to the yeah, other yeah talking about um autumn we could just talk a little bit yeah. about the, the seasons for cycling oh yeah um so 
any time from, I would say, 1st of May till 30th of October yep. is, is, is good cycling time. School holidays, July and August. Um, everything, everything's busier. Prices go up. But at the same time, it's July and August are really nice, especially in the north. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of festivals on. Lots of stuff going on in July and August. So even though it's busier, it can be a kind of positive busier too. Um, obviously, the, the south, I think, is just too hot for July and August. It's you, you, you have to be a bit of a glutton for punishment if you want to cycle in the south of France. I think I was, in, times. I was in the south of France and it had to have been like November and it was still warm. Like, I mean, it was still, it wasn't, un, oh, yeah. you know, it wasn't, I, I could go to the beach and lay on the beach. Obviously it was cool out. The water was cold. Um, but, you know, and I could go hiking in just a shirt and pants, no jacket, nothing. And yeah, like I, July, I can just imagine. Actually, there's one part of France we haven't mentioned. Which is? Talking about no, November and it being warm. That's Corsica. Oh, yeah. Apparently, the mountain biking in Corsica is amazing. And I've seen, I, I haven't cycled at all. I've been, I've been there on holiday yeah. and I've, I've seen people cycling and I've seen the routes marked. It's, it's tough, I think. It's tough mountain cycling, but that would be a really exciting, you know, crossing, crossing Corsica. There, there is a route, I'm sure, to cross Corsica. I, I'm sure there is. I think I've talked to people yeah. who have cycled Sardinia yeah. and I think Corsica's... Yeah. Also challenging and pretty that, epic. That would be that would be great in the autumn because there's lots of the colours are amazing. Lots of chestnut trees all changing mm-hmm. colour, and you can swim. That's what made me think of it because um, we were swimming in November in Corsica this oh, year. That's not, oh wow, nice. Oh no, it was it was lovely. <laughs> yeah, it's contrast that the the northern coast, which is the English Channel, of course. But yeah, you. Likely alongside the English Channel. Yeah. Then after you know mid September. Yeah, those winds, right? It's just colder water, so it's you know. The Atlantic is is, is I love the Atlantic coast, but it's huge waves too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you get more wind in the small, yeah, yeah, more wind in the autumn. You too. take small children. Um. Unlike the the north coast, where mm-hmm. there's the, the seas are generally calmer and there's oh, lots of okay. ports and places, you know, with, with calm water. Mm. The Atlantic is is amazing, but my goodness, does it? Well, it's the ocean, so yeah, exactly. <laughs> Very exposed. Yeah. Um. So I guess, uh, yeah, I guess we could about, we could talk yeah. a little bit about like where if you had if you had let's say a two weeks to go right. anywhere in France, you know you don't have to start from home base although you might because maybe it is the best part maybe Lyon is and you're like this is the most epic place to start from so but um, where would you what would you do if you had two weeks two weeks well I'll give you a couple of my top three okay okay well I like that. Three okay, options. In, in number three. This will be a new thing. I'll um, ask people. Three options. Yeah. Coming in at number three um, would be the, the Via Rona, which I mentioned earlier, which comes through Lyon. Mm-hmm. So it's following the Rhone River, which comes out of Lake Geneva. And the part upstream from Lyon is very windy. It's a small river, very windy. 
and it's it's very pleasant to do. The whole thing is 800 kilometers. Yeah. You go through Lyon, and then after Lyon, it's the river's much wider, and it just goes straight south uh, and goes into the sea near Marseille, if you like. And you can finish that in the Camargue. Have you heard of the Camargue? It's no. a part where they have lots of wild horses and bulls. They raise bulls for bullfighting. Oh, okay. And there's flamingos everywhere. It's really nice. So there's one branch that goes to the Camargue, and another branch goes to a town called Set, which is on the south coast, which is a fishing port. And again, there's lots of flamingos, um, lots of bird life in general. That's that's a really nice trip to do. That would be my okay. Would you say two weeks. Yeah, no, that would be my number three. And um, my number two would probably be. Um, Normandy, Brittany. Oh, okay. So Mont Saint Michel, starting in Normandy, um, somewhere around Mont Saint Michel, and then following the Brittany coast, the the EV stops at Roscoff. It doesn't go right to the end of the um the point of Brittany. Mm-hmm. It stops in Roscoff. That is, I've done that. It's really lovely. Um, it's like going towards Brest and that kind of thing? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, it looks it looks pretty flat on the map, but in fact, you're constantly going, you're on cliff. Yeah, because you're on the you're coast. It's down always... into fishing port, up the other side. It was about 80 to 100 meters, sometimes pretty steep. But you do that maybe six times in the day. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, you know. You still get a workout. Be, yeah, you get a bit of a workout. And it's just lovely because the, it's tidal there. So, you know, so you've got low tide, high tide. There's a whole load of the food is really good. Seafood, crepe, you know, the pancakes. Yeah. Pancakes, cider to drink. It's and the light. The light is beautiful. It's, it's a really nice part to do. So that comes in at number two. And I would say for number one would be uh, the EV1, which is called the Velo, Velo DC. Okay. Um, and it would be the part which finishes at the Spanish border. So if you had two weeks, you could start it somewhere like La Rochelle. Um, so starting north of Bordeaux and following the EV1 down. Okay. And that is that's really nice, and it's and that's nearly all cycle paths. Oh, okay. And it has great campsites, um, and then you arrive in the Basque country, so yes. it's Bayonne, where the ham comes from, and um, Biarritz, which is well known, mm-hmm. and then you finish at Ondai, which is right on the border, and so everything's in Basque. The food there is amazing too. Um, and you if just you want have time, to, you, you can just keep going. Well, I know it was so hard to stop. <laughs> you thought to carry on through Spain. Well, you have to carry on somewhere to get on a bus or a train. Well, I mean, I guess yeah, it's better to carry right. on to a major yeah. airport. And uh... <laughs> yeah, I mean, we got on the train and on the I went back to Paris. Yeah, down to Lyon. Mm. But yeah, th- those would be my three. I like that favorite 
moots. Another one I could point, I wouldn't do it myself, but um, the Loire, the Loire Valley, I think for foreigners would be really nice. Where is that? Um, in the center, center west of France. Oh, that's where you said, like coming down from Paris, if you're following the EV3, I think you if said. If you're following the EV3, it's, it goes on to the, um, the Loire Valley route. Right, you mentioned. Loire Valley route. And so there, I mean, I'm not a big fan of cycling next to rivers because I find it's okay for a couple of days, but it can get a bit samey. Yeah. But there you've got all the chateau, the big chateau. Oh, no, that could be nice. Yeah, for and tourists. you could do, yeah, you could do like a hundred kilometers. You could do like two or three days yeah. on it. Um, and visit the different chateaux. Even if you don't visit them, they're all very visible from the from the from the route from the river. Yeah, and I had a friend cycle from um, oh I don't know exactly where, but somewhere on the Mediterranean, cutting inwards mm-hmm. towards Bordeaux. And he said there was a long canal, and he said same thing. It was great, but oh. after a while, you're like, okay, <laughs> you know, I've had enough of this canal. And the canal, the canal du Midi. Yes. I think they just have really good marketing because there's lots of people I've met, like in Australia, that dream of doing the Canal du Midi. Oh. And I'm there going, oh, are you, sh- are are you sure? sure? That's really- <laughs> it, photographs, it photographs so well. It's everybody's picture postcard thing of France. You know, you've got the, the barges going along, you've got the yeah, trees, yeah. and it all looks wonderful. But it's terribly samey and it doesn't go through many places. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Uh, that, that's not on my <laughs> good well now we know the list so uh yeah 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 that's awesome um well i really enjoyed this anything else that you can think of that we didn't really talk i guess internet is um i know it was on the list of like possible discussion mm-hmm. topics but you know i think if you're in europe you get a sim or an e-sim that's yeah. good for yeah, all of europe okay. and you're good no matter where you go you know and yeah. um it's Nowadays, I'd say almost every, anywhere you go, like it's it's a non-discussion because you could just get an electro an eSIM hooked up to your phone, yeah. And probably ninety nine percent of phones out there can use an eSIM, and you're good to go, right? So it's yeah. saves you a lot of hassle. It's not it's not like it was back in the day, you know, when we were young. <laughs> well, I'm heading off in a couple of weeks. I'm heading off to Vietnam for two months. Yes, I remember I seeing your looking, message. Get a card, and because I'm, I'm supposed to supposed to be working. All First right. time I've tried to do this in a kind of developing country. Yeah, yeah. So, so let's uh, let's end this episode. We can keep chatting, and um, yeah. Well, I want to hear more about your trip and uh, plans for Vietnam. Okay. But uh, yeah, uh, Charlotte, thank you so much for for reaching oh. out and saying, hey, I'm more than happy to talk about France and uh, <laughs> for putting all this together because it was really really insightful. Good. Um, well, I hope it helped. It I think helped, uh, it helps inspired people and. Yeah, I think Give I think some pointers, people yeah. might look at some of the information and go, well, obviously, mm. but um, that's not obvious to everybody, right? Like, so that's the well, that's yeah. the key is it's mm. not mm. everybody has you know. There's people that live their lives through other people's adventures, like me, following all you guys all the time, and I'm like, oh, she's so lucky. <laughs> uh, I know. And, uh, I know. So it's good to it's good to know all these tips and tricks. Have a fantastic day. You, Enjoy yep. your afternoon. Thank you. And uh, you too. We'll talk soon. Okay, then. Thanks, Bye-bye. Chris. Bye. Bye. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have any comments or questions, you can email me at chris at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. 
Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. Head over to bikepackadventures.ca slash partners for some amazing deals. If you're enjoying the show and would like to become a supporting member, head over to www.patreon.com slash bikepackadventures to sign up. Patreons get to enjoy early access and ad-free podcast episodes. You can also support the show by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, helping me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and continue to produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling.